Hello to anyone who is listening in. This is an episode of Not Knowing About Poetry, where we're really just doing our best and trying not to let you down too badly. I'm so pleased to be joined today by Ellie Green in Manchester and long-term friend of the podcast, Shima Imshir from Istanbul. Hi, guys. Hello. Good to have you here. We're going to be having another conversation about the ways that relatively recent poets think about literature from the olden days. And today's kind of a, a fun episode in some respects. Um, it's the first time we've got three people on the podcast at one time, which is great. Uh, it's also the first episode when we're going to get into that Renaissance poet, John Donne who could be said to have defined one aspect of the trajectory of Anglophone modernism in the early 20th century. A writer of central importance to leading male critics and poets like F.R. Leavis, William Empson and T.S. Eliot, among others. Bringing up Dunn here gives us the opportunity to think about a number of interesting questions. Is Dunn a poet who's still relevant? How has that relevance, if it exists at all, changed over the past hundred years? Does he remain in any way the stylistic, cultural and intellectual resource that he was at some point in uh, the recent past? Of course, as always, we're not proposing to finish answering those questions today, but we will be able to start exploring them with the poet Tom Gunn. Gunn lived between 1929 and 2004, and it's interesting for just so many reasons, perhaps especially for his articulation of modern forms of masculinity in a kind of poetry that enigmatically harks back to the powerful neatness of late Elizabethan and Augustan verse. Gunn would have been very, very thoroughly educated in Dunn's poetry from his time at Cambridge. Um, and though I'm not sure that I've detected any excessive or extensive influence of Dunn on Gunn's poetry, um, that might make it all the more interesting to explore one very little reference that we come across. So that's using Dunn's poem, The Ecstasy, in Gunn's poem, The Hug, from his 1992 collection, The Man with the Night Sweats. It was actually the first collection to win the Ford Prize, which is very interesting. So we'll start with reading Dunn. He trained as a lawyer and became a priest later in life, eventually getting to the position of Dean of St. Paul's Cathedral. Dunn's now generally taken as one of the most influential of the metaphysical poets who wrote lyrics in the early 17th century. He didn't print much poetry during his lifetime, but he was extremely popular in manuscript circulation, probably the most important single poet for manuscripts in the early 17th century. He's a poet who hasn't always been as widely read as he was during his lifetime. He went out of fashion in the long 18th century in particular, but following from the earnest work of Victorian editors, modernist critics found in him a kind of fresh and intellectually attuned poetic voice that could act as a guide out of the sonorous escapism of much 19th century poetry. The Ecstasy, which we will read today, could be seen as an exemplary poem of Dunn's insofar as it pursues an erudite articulation of spiritual love in a form of expression that is disarmingly casual and colloquial. 
This is not an easy poem, as I've come to realise from getting ready for this podcast. And I think once we've read it, it's a relatively long poem, once we get through it, part of what we'll be doing is just untangling what's going on so that listeners can, can make sense of the discussion. But to give us a bit of an introduction to some of the themes before we listen to it and start thinking about it, perhaps we could do little better than a reminder first that Dunn's love poetry often concerns itself with the difference between contemplating and quite suggestively doing. And second, a comment on that word ecstasy, which in Dunn's time could refer to an unconscious faint or swoon, or a state of religious rapture, a kind of passion that excludes all rational thought. In Dunn's writing, it often seems to signal a union of two people in a quasi-orgasmic bliss that dare not call itself orgasmic. So let's have a go at the ecstasy. And Ellie, I think you're going to start us off. Okay. Um... Where, like a pillow on a bed, a pregnant blank swelled up to rest, the violet's reclining head, sat we two, one another's best. Our hands were firmly cemented with a fast balm, which thence did spring, our eye beams twisted and did thread, our eyes upon one double string. So to intergraft our hands, as yet, was all the means to make us one, and pictures in our eyes to get was all our propagation. As twixt two equal armies fate suspends uncertain victory, our souls, which to advance their state, were gone out, hung twixt her and me. And whilst our souls negotiate there, we like sepulchral statues lay. All day, the same our postures were, and we said nothing all the day. If any, so by love refined, that he soul's language understood, and by good love were grown all mind, within convenient distance stood. He, though he knew not which soul spake, because both meant both spake the same, might thence a new concoction take and part far fewer, far, far purer than he came. This ecstasy doth unperplex, we said, and tell us what we love. We see by this it was not sex. We see we saw not what did move. But as all several souls contain mixture of things, they know not what. Love these mixed souls doth mix again and makes both one each this and that. A single violet transplant, the strength, the colour and the size, all which before was poor and scant, redoubles still and multiplies. When love with one another so interanimates two souls, that abler soul, which thence doth flow, defects of loneliness controls. We then, who are this new soul, know of what we are composed and made, for the atomies of which we grow are souls whom no change can invade. But oh, Alice, so long, so far, our bodies, why do we forbear? They are ours, though they are not we. We are the intelligences, they the spheres. We owe them thanks, because they thus did us, to us, at first convey. Yielded their senses forced to us, nor are draws to us but ally. One man heaven's influence works not so, but that it first imprints the air, so soul into the soul may flow. Though it to body first repair, as our blood labors to beget spirits, 
as like souls as it can, because such fingers need to knit that subtle knot which makes us man. So must pure lover's soul descend, affections and to faculties, which sense may reach and apprehend, else a great prince in prison lies. To our bodies turn we then, that so weak men on love revealed may look. Love's mysteries in souls do grow, but yet the body's his book. And if some lover, such as we, have heard this dialogue of one, let him still mark us, he shall see. Small change, when we are to bodies gone. So um, we end with that line, we're to bodies gone. And if we start at the poem, maybe we've just got to keep those bodies in mind while we're talking about what's happening, what's going on. So I think what we'll maybe try and do is, is sort of deal with it in those same like groups that we read. So I think we've got Ellie's first five stanzas that we put together. Mm -hmm. where it kind of sets the scene. It talks about what's going on. Um, I wonder, um, Shima, what do you think about the kind of setting that we've got here? It is, um, I was, I'm not quite used to this in Dunn, but at the same time, it does make sense. It does start almost like a dramatic monologue, as um, you said earlier as well. But um, yeah, it's like we have this setting where this couple lying down, um, the words are very much um, just full on with the, with the, with the imagery that we should be having, like the um, pillow on a bed, pregnant bed, uh, swelled up to rest, the violets, all that sort of passionate mm. image going on. And um, that. And then, of course, uh, we start with the question, are we going to read another poem like The Flea? Is this going to be a seduction poem? Or is there something else going on here? I think that's a nice, nice to be reminded of that poem. Um, you know, is is a lot of people's entrance into Dunn, the flea, where the the whole point is making quite a specious, is that the word, argument about trying to get uh, his mistress to sleep with him based on this little flea. We've sort of got a slightly more expansive view that's maybe getting set up for could mm -hmm. be lots of things, but. It's also interesting to bring in that idea of the dramatic monologue, which isn't wasn't a form really until Browning invented it. But mm. Browning would have been invented, would have been reading Dunn, and he would have been thinking about um, various bits of Dunn for creating these monologues. Mm. And, may, and maybe that just asks the question as well, like what's um, sort of what's our attention on in these first five lines? Like does does that voice like really kind of overpower us? Do we get a really clear sense of kind of a, a posture and a voice and a tone? Or are we sort of focusing on something a lot quieter? Maybe mm. that's what we th I think of with the flea, like the flea's a very clear posture. Um, mm. I don't know, I wonder what, what you think, Ellie. I mean, I wonder what draws your attention. Is it that kind of sense of a voice or are we kind of going into, you know, pondering these details as an alternative? reading I think, uh, it feels a little um 
the focus is on specific separate body parts. So I suppose it's like slightly more towards the those um those attention to small things. This kind of swelling belly bank um the hands uh which obviously moves to the next stanza but the hands also that are cemented together um the head of the violet reclining on this belly bank as well i feel like we're getting some lots of mixed um metaphors here you know what i love that and just to be clear listeners the word belly doesn't come up in the poem but that is it isn't it that's exactly what it is a pregnant bank so it's it's a bodily sort of you know it's a slope it's a hill whatever imagined in terms of the body um I, I think that's a fantastic point because it it gives this sort of aggression from the you know the, the what we call might call a pastoral sea in the countryside or a park um and then this feels more like a kind of urban park for some reason to me than a um deep countryside but it feels like there's some kind of continuity there between that pastoral setting and then the attention of the speaker I just want, I mean, what's what's kind of the point of that? So to move from the, the scene, which is represented in body parts or understood in terms of body parts, what does it mean to then move from the, the body scene to the body itself? Like, I'm just setting up the questions. I'm not, I'm not sure what I've got in mind there. Ellie, do you, did you already explain that? Or is that a reasonable question to pose? Uh, I mean, I suppose that's um, that reminds me of um, the this notion of um, I mean, not to leap in with the queer theory right away, but it reminds me of the self extension that um, that uh, Peter Boxall refers to. But he's talking about Leo Bassani's um, homos, where um, there's instead of um, a kind of desire that um, like that sort of reaches across um, uh, a space that's rather linking up with um, with things that may not even be human. So we've got this this um, this lump of the bank that's sort of um, turning into a body um, and this kind of like transversal relationship to space, I guess. Um, that doesn't really fit in with how the rest of the poem goes, but that's how I'm reading it here. I was going to say, because I think um, that could have been some, another way of introducing this, that obviously we are going on to a poem by a prominent queer writer. And maybe one of our questions is, is, is there any queerness in this poem by like noted he noted heterosexual, <laughs> undone noted priest, um, not known for, for for being gay. So, but okay, but you'd say there's the the, the potential for that in this opening moment. Yeah, being like deeply reparative, yes. But I mean, not later on the the entire relationships of bodies changes. But I think just specifically here, this this weirdness of the violet leaning its head on this bank is, as I think, okay, I love that way. I really love that, and then sort of. So to sort of just to move us on a little bit, like we get that setting with the body that then brings us into our, our hands being firmly cemented with a fast balm. So these sweaty teenage hands linked up and um, somehow uniting these two, two bodies. Um, and I mean, and then we get this kind of couple, a series of images of unity. So that, that, that cemented fast balm and, uh, I did, I did do my research to find out that cement was current in the 17th century. So, you know, it could have been cement as we'd understand it. Um, and then there's quite, I think it's quite a famous image of their eyes being threaded on a string, like, I don't know, a bracelet or a necklace or something, or an abacus is maybe how I'm imagining it. Um, and then 
this this sort of intergrafting these pictures and then armies being suspended in between them like kind of um in a, in a sort of standoff um i don't know i wonder shima what do you make of these kind of series of of quite odd images um you know ellie's raised this possibility of a sort of extension of bodies in some way but what what did you think of it when you kind of read about them being unified in this weird way yeah i was very happy when um ellie said that i was thinking of how symbolic it is there you know the symbolism you know this idea that like the feelings you know like just reflected on the nature and the, and the scenery it is all there um but i think here in this scene um going back to your question about um your previous question about what about all of the bodies that idea and i just realized actually looking at the poem again we can almost follow the scene with a camera like we could actually shoot this poem you start with the with the you know the picture of this couple uh like lying down by the by the uh um what was it um how is he defining it? Pregnant bank. Um, and then the camera zooms in a little bit and we see the hands, um, we see their postures a little bit. And then there comes the actual zoom in and the camera zooms into their eyes and you see their eye beams, you know, and then what is going on with their soul. So from like that outside look, it keeps on coming up close. And then we are starting to see their um, souls intermingling um, with the, with the eye beams, threading their souls. Um, so the movement is quite interesting, I think. Yeah, I, I love the idea that we're sort of. So this is, you know, a poem about, um, in some way, about spiritual love, about platonic love, about um, you know two people so in love that their souls are combining um, in a in a in a lovely way. Um, but I like the point that it's, it's sort of building up to that it's not just mm. using that straight away it's building up from the outs and from the outside and um something you 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 mentioned before uh, this before we started recording ellie um when the when we get to the eyes we've got some interesting words like intergraft and about pictures uh, just to remind you that stands so to intergraft our hands as yet was all the means to make us one and pictures in our eyes to get was all a propagation. I, I just wanted, do you want to do you want to say anything about that? So we she was given this idea of the kind of this movement of the poem. And it feels like that stanza is really important for kind of leaping into the soul in the next stanza. Mm -hmm. um, what was it that drew your drew your eye in uh, in that stanza? So I mean, um in reading before this, um, I, I was looking in the dictionary and found that um, the graft has the same root as graphic. So it's got this um, connotation, not only of um, sort of um, of grafting, as in you would graft, um, say, a, a shoot of a plant among other plants, which also could relate back to the to the violets and their their propagation. Um, so we've got that that happening, but then also this idea of the graphic um, and maybe um, sort of as you get closer to the eyes, getting closer to this idea of writing as well, um, which I suppose would be, um, yes, a kind of inscription. Because um, this, I mean, this is, this is a poem that, um, you know, I think through, maybe through the, the kind of the, the power of the voice, if you wanted to put it like that, I don't, I don't believe in the power of the voice, but, um, that's one way it might be drawing attention to itself as a poem 
maybe its written status, it's, it's drawing attention to less than other done poems, but um, that, yeah, I, I, I feel like I agree with you. That's a moment where it's representing itself as a representation and the, the pictures, it pictures in our eyes to get um, is, is, is similar, similarly part of that. And that, that, so that idea is like from, it's one of these things that come up a few times in Dunn of like looking into someone's eyes so closely and intimately that you can see your reflection back. Um, so it's it's a kind of intimacy that precedes this spiritual intimacy. So it's still at a distance, but really, really close. So, you know what, we we could just talk about all this a lot. And I just really I just see the time is ticking and we've got lots to get through. Um, we haven't talked, for example, about these sepulchral statues, but maybe it's just worth mentioning, you know, this kind of image of a tomb. They're, 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 they're so still, they're just next to each other, like a kind of man and wife entombed. Or in some of the examples, we've seen like two men just entombed together. There was a good story about that. We'll have to um, move past. They're lying there saying nothing all the day. But what happens in the next bit? What's the kind of dramatic turn that we get after setting up this scene. Do you want to comment on that, Shima? Um, I do, but I, I want to comment on that by going back, I'm sorry. Um, but I think there is like one um, word that um, threads our eyes upon one double string, um, which is sort of, is this line. I think it is one of the most important ones there because um, you know it shows that our soul is sort of like mixed with one another, just like our bodies. So, you know, it then um, writes quite a lot about, talks quite a lot about how much their souls are just intermingled like that. And then, of course, in that dramatic turn of events, we then move to um, bodies and see what is happening. You know, our souls are together like this. So let's see what's happening with our bodies. And um, there are, of course, like interesting word choices there. Um, so I'm trying to find it a bit. Somewhere maybe you two will be able to find it. Uh, when he says descends, they're descending into bodies, for instance, which is quite interesting. Um, so yeah, I think I think for the for the critics who read this poem as a seduction poem, it gives quite good support. But for the other way around as well, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I I think we should get on to the next bit. Which bit? The, the, the when we so we move on from we said nothing all the day but then who's this character who comes in because we haven't mentioned this character yet oh yeah of course have we forgotten about him so this is so this is in this is when he says if, if any so by love refined that he soul's language understood and by good love were grown all mind within convenient distance stood so the the shift there We've moved from Shima's kind of camera panning from details up to the souls. And now we've got this extra person who's looking on and who's going to um, get some really good stuff out of this, looking at these two people. So we could talk about that, but maybe we need to push on to like the, the third stanza in that section where we get some really important keywords like about how this exercedeth unperplex, we said, and tell us what we love. We see by this it was not sex. We saw, we see, we saw not what did move. 
and maybe it's worth just sort of accepting like that turn of of a of a outside speaker looking in on these people and then them starting talking and this stands is going to be quite important for us going forwards and i'm trying to figure out who who feels most confident to start talking about this important stanza i mean i think it's curious that the ecstasy is the thing that unperplexes um and also just to, just as a brief mention i think that shima's camera analogy does still work i suppose because um maybe we're breaking the fourth wall here where we've got you know attention mate is being drawn to which whoever the viewer is um of this but um yeah uh this ecstasy sexy doth unperplex um and tell us what we love um but then immediately as soon as we as soon as we are told what we love by this ecstasy which which is making everything very clear we're immediately told that it's not sex um which seems almost like a like a strange kind of um shameful way to way to approach um this kind of connection like, oh it wasn't sex um and also yeah um the kind of staccato way in which that that gets told and that that word sex is is fantastically interesting here because um it it probably has our modern meaning slightly depend it depends on who you read um but it's a word that could mean like the division of sexes or it could mean having sex so it's it, it's a, like a denial of um being separate um you know, it's a, it's a statement of kind of unity, but also a disavowal of physical unity. So it has both of those things in one, in one kind of one neat statement, which it, or depending on how you you kind of situate the word. Um, what do you think, Shima? I mean, it is. Um, I, I'm not even sure whether I have anything to add to what you two said. Um, it is, though. I think. Um, it is going to be, as you said, um, the most important line for us to move on to gun, of course. Um, but but the difference between how Dan is using this line and how Dan is using this line that is that is going to be important for us to move forward as well. Um, okay, and so I feel at this moment of the poem, like we actually end up getting quite a lot of drawn out explanation of things that I feel like, oh, do I really get this? Do I really need all of this information? Um, and it's the next stanza where he says, all several souls contain mixture of things, they know not what. Love these mixed souls that mix again and makes both one, each this and that. Um, again, Ellie, I think you've got something to say about this one. <laughs> you, you, you wanna explain um, what you think the stanza gives us? I think this this stanza is the official badge of the the not queerness of this poem. Um, crucially, here we've got um, this this moment where mixed souls. We're, we're thinking, okay, mixed souls possible, maybe maybe we can read this in this way. Makes both one, each this and that. Which uh, we've got this kind of uh, I want to say essentializing, but maybe that's going too far. These two very sort of uh, monolithic souls, both one, each this and that. It feels very um, prescriptive. Set in, set in two little um, opposite motions from one another in um, potentially the most heterosexual reading imaginable. 
So okay, so if if there was some if there was some genuine sense of a um, subjective a, a compromised subjectivity or a uh, um, a a subjectivity that that wasn't just a monolithic thing we would be getting it we would be getting that kind of queerness that we might have expected from the start mm -hmm. i think we've also just got this uncontroversial commonality here that's really doesn't speak to queer theory at all um, okay. that's uh, uh, that's very interesting um and there's this thing about numbers as well that i think we we maybe talked about before and it's it's going to be difficult to revive that particular conversation, but the the one, the two, um, I think that's been important. That's going to be important for Gunn, um, but also in other receptions of this poem. Like I think I forwarded you that sonnet by Eric Langley, where he he really goes into the one. It's a bit of an odd poem, so I, I don't even particularly remember it myself. Um, but that maybe that's just something to keep in mind as we as we move move along. Um, and okay, so so that that maybe that whole section we could say is, you know, the defending a normative uh, desire. What do you think? Do you think we we need to say anything more about this section before we move on to kind of our our final movement leading up to that conclusion? Because we kind of have another turn in a in a couple of stanzas, but we, we could just skip over some stanzas. Um, I wonder what you think, Shima. Again, I mean, I, I, as um, as you two said, I don't think at this um, at this stage I have anything to add. Uh, we have the two tools um, becoming this great one thing, and then it becomes an abler soul, um, and now they see this, you know, what they are capable of being. Um, so, you know, which takes us to the turn, I guess. Um, and to the question of, you know, okay, so this is this is what's happening with our, you know, now we have discovered this capability in our um, in our uh, souls. Um, what what about our bodies? And I'm, I'm yeah, I think you you're both interested in that word abler. Um, you could yeah, that's what you you drew attention to just then as well, wasn't it, Shima? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, did you ever thought about that as well, Ellie? Because it didn't. I mean, on my on my reading today, it didn't necessarily stand out for me. But I'm interested. So I'm doubly interested. It stood out to to you both. I think there's just this idea of the the third whoever's watching this other soul is is sort of learning, obviously, from from the the two, right? Or the or that also that they've two have become one better soul. Um, but then abler, I'm so confused by that choice of word because. Able, able suggests some kind of action or or result. Um, that, uh, what, what is that result? What 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 is going to happen with this with this one soul? I am. Um, I don't see what it's what this drives toward. I, I mean, maybe just transcendence is the uh, is the answer. But um. All right. Well, yeah. But I, I guess you know that is, yeah. You this this poem is thinking about what what happens. You know, what does the soul do? It does does it do anything? And I mean, do, you know, the the as I said at the start, like for done, just that word do. Um, you know, we don't need much explanation of that. But um, the idea of that action leading to result, yeah, this is this is absolutely part of what's going on. Okay, and so we're then into the last section then, and I, we you know we're skipping over lots of things we could say 
shame shamefully um but then we then get this nice sort of turning point where he says but oh alas so long so far our bodies why do we forbear they're ours though they're not we we are the intelligences they the spheres and um Shima, do you want to do you want to set us off with this this bit Yes, yes, of course. Um, so now the camera moves on to bodies again, of course. Um, and, um, you know, like what? You know, this, this, this is, of course, one of the lines where, you know, like raises some suspicions about is this, is this like another flea in that um, why, why do we deny our bodies, you know, from this greatness, whatever that is. Um, I quite like the bit where he talks about how, you know, we are not our bodies, we are controlling them like, like angels. Are controlling the spheres. I quite like that idea of um, um, bodies being sort of controlled by the um, by the by the soul, by the intelligence. Um, and it's quite interesting that he also following. I'm moving on a little bit, if that is fine. Um, we owe them thanks still um, because they dusted to us at first con. They yielded their senses force to us. Um, so I guess now at this stage we're thanking them for. Um, making us notice each other, making us come together, I suppose. I like that line just because um, there's this odd moment of like politeness that, um, you know, might, I don't know, might associate with a poet like George Herbert, um, that we owe them thanks, or maybe even Marvell. Um, that's, that, there's no need to draw those connections, um, but just in a, a few, few lines is a sort of, um, deferential politeness, a kind of courtliness, um, and it, you know, but it, it, but it also seems wrapped up in that. But you know, we owe them thanks. But um, whatever else. Well, but also it, of course, like create, uh, very clearly creates that hierarchy as well. Again, you know, souls, souls, what matter, especially with that line. Nora draws to us, but ally. Mm. Um, so that idea that you know that there's that hierarchy, and what was important. Um, the, you know, what we needed to uh, use in order to intermingle, we've already done it anyway. So bodies, they're not that important, but they are important. But, you know, we've done the actual work. So they are sort of secondary in that hierarchy. Yeah. So, so alloy, <laughs> alloy um, like a mix of, a mix of metals, a mix of qualities that they're, they're not pure, they're not awful, but they're somewhere in the middle. Okay. So, Again, we have like some quite sophisticated stuff. And like, I feel like there's probably listeners here from the John Dunn Society saying, you know, not knowing about poetry isn't paying attention to like soul into the soul may flow. But like, we'll, we'll do that another time, John Dunn Society. I'm sorry, we're not we're not going to get it right today. We're, this is not knowing about poetry. You've got to go to the Knowing About Poetry podcast. So I, I feel like, you know, we've got some lovely phrases like that subtle knot, which makes us man. But it's maybe the last three stanzas where we sort of come back down to our kind of mm. uh, themes and topics that we, we started with, where they talk. He talks about how um, how so must pure lovers souls mm. ascend to affections and to faculties which sense may reach and apprehend else the great prince in prison lies to our bodies turn we then that so weak men on love revealed may look love's mysteries and souls do grow but yet the body is his book and maybe what i'm just thinking there is like 
we've started off the poem talking about sort of a physical setting and then we've gone into very very elaborate kind of platonic stuff to what extent like do we really feel like this is a kind of descent into the affections from what he's saying is he is he really offering us like a really different alternative of what happens in bodies as opposed to souls does it sound like you know there is a radically different experience there you know uh, this idea of you you quoted those those words humor about how pure lovers souls descending to affections and faculties so descending to all the emotions and feelings and senses you'd have do you think anything about that ellie do you feel like we're kind of launching into this other thing where finally he's talking about like bodies and sex and it's all like free and there's loads of jouissance and everything's delightful or or what uh, i I don't think so, but I think the the one thing that that makes me I in short I I don't think that we're turning to the body in any reasonable way here. We've got but yet the body is his book. Oh well, I mean fine, the body is his book, whatever. But the line in the stanza before that, the last line, Elsa, great prince in prison lies. Mm -hmm. Such a <laughs> a great prince in prison. I mean, uh, not a great king, just a prince uh, in prison. Like, I don't know, that, that feels to me almost um, gun-like in a way, this sort of like kind of um, like undercutting of, of this, um, this, this thing that's supposed to be great, but is being couched in this kind of like slight, um, slightly undercut physicality. So it's, that's almost too ridiculous a comparison, is that what you mean? Mm, I think so. And a bizarre image, I think. It is. And I think with that, with that word, that word prince is an interesting one because um, I think a lot of that could be applied much more generally at this time. So like Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth would have been referred to as as a prince, as a monarch. Um, so it is more generally applicable. However, that that doesn't mean it's not weird. Um, so what what does it mean here? So is the great prince, is he saying that that's like the the kind of the realization of the love that's the kind of the expression of the love or that's kind of all the sex and stuff that you don't get if it's just spiritual is is that what he's saying i think i think so right the great prince is is the it will be released from prison if you agree to touch one another i think that's the that's the message right. okay. <laughs> But then, okay. But then, I think you're, you, you know, I, I'm, I'm really grateful for that point. That you know, it doesn't feel like we're, to we're, it doesn't really feel like from the poetry that we're really returning to the bodies in any meaningful sense. The fact that the, the body is his book that brings us back to some of those ideas of, gra of, of, of grafting or of pictures or of representation, um, and maybe in this sphere, the body is just a kind of another point of analysis, just another point of interpretation. Um, I don't. I don't really think I've expressed that very well, but it's 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 not really a, a meaningful thing. Um, and okay, well, we we've got all that behind us, and then we finally get to our last stanza, um, which is worth reading out again, just because everyone's probably forgotten about it now. Which has got some famous lines in. Um, so um, all of what we've just been hearing, that was what these two people, Dunn and his lover, or Dunn's persona and his lover, were saying while they were lying on this bank. Now, right before the end, that speech shuts. You might not notice, but it sort of stops. And then finally, in the final stanza, 
the the kind of the um, reflection the the reflective speaker the dramatic voice comes back and says and if some lover such as we have heard this dialogue of one let him still mark us he shall see small change when we're to bodies gone and um shima we've got another expression of kind of the descent to bodies what do you what do you want to say about this stanza it is um like like ali was saying you know that the idea of the, the book you know the representation and then the, the word change perhaps one of the words that we should pay attention to here is um the word change a uh, small change when you are to body is gone um is it that you know we are now our souls are so intermingled we have changed so much there by becoming that able soul i guess that what happens with our bodies that that is not that cannot possibly uh be compared to this this other change but yes i'm i'm struggling not reading this point at this point okay okay <laughs> You see it as an attempt to persuade her that having sex would be right. A little bit, but then again, I, I I then think about the title, the ecstasy, and that that maybe um, changes things a little bit. Um, in that, because the ex ecstasy here is not something that he hasn't presented bodies to us and senses to us as something that would give us ecstasy. The the ecstasy, what will happen? You know, that that famous line. You know, it's no no, it wasn't sex. It's not sex. It wasn't sex. Um, with that line, and again, there's that idea of sort of like that change in that line, uh, the following line, of course, uh, we see, uh, um, we see not what we sow, I think, uh, am I, am I misquoting right now, the abler soul, we sow not, so it's like there's nothing to see, almost, a big change is happening, and there's nothing to see, um, so is it, you know, if, if this song was, say, about, um, some sort of seduction, then then why are we focusing on the ecstasy that we experience with the souls becoming one? So, yeah. Um, or, you know, does it suggest that, you know, what we can do with our bodies that will, that makes no difference whatsoever because, you know, um, what we've done with our souls just now. So, in, I mean, in some ways it feels like sort of the, I, you know, I described it as a poem that wants to talk about an orgasmic feeling without talking about orgasms. But at the end, it's almost saying like, well, you couldn't, you know, we've, we've had this amazing experience and uh, it'll be exactly the same when we're in bodies. And I guess that's your point about it being a seduction poem that like, oh, it's just yeah. the same, it's exactly the same. It's our minds connecting as one. Yeah, and also I quite like the uh, final word that gone. Um, it's like, you know, this movement idea, I think, ends there, therefore, you know, was still going on throughout the poem. You know, we started off, um, you know, looking at this couple and then looked at how they were standing together. And then, you know, we moved to their eyes and their souls. And then we looked at their bodies. And now, I mean, we are going to the body now. Like, mm. there is that, that movement. And I, I mean, I wonder, could, could we bring Ellie in? Because I, I guess I feel like we've been on this journey where we kind of were, we were promised a queer scenario and then it turned out to be not at all queer. Where do you think we've come to at the end of the poem before we go into Tom Gunn? 
I also was just thinking while Shima was talking there about the possibility of not only going to bodies, but the idea of being two bodies gone. So as in, in relationship to bodies, we are gone. Um, mm-hmm. Which might be another way of reading that last, not to um, to cut across that, but... Um, <sighs> I like that. So two bodies gone. Mm. Well, I'll tell you what, the word gone also sounds a bit like gun who is the the next person we're going to read so i'll give a little intro then we'll read the poem and then we'll talk about it some more okay so the ecstasy you know very interesting and it just gets more interesting the more we talk about it um but we have to move on and if we want to know about the reception and reading of the ecstasy we really are spoiled for choice as the poem's got a creative reception history all of its own. Poets have been quoting it directly since 1647, at least um, within the first two decades of Dunn's death. Um, more recently, it was a subject of a lithograph by June Wayne in the 1950s and a kind of dramatic resituating by Seamus Heaney in 2010. And those things have been discussed uh, at length by Dunn scholars. And I reckon, you know, we, we wouldn't have to do much more work to get a really, really rich, big story about the reception of the ecstasy. But we're going to be looking at that one tiny quotation from this poem in The Hug from the Man with the Night Sweats. So, again, there's loads of things we could say to introduce this. Um, we could locate it within Gunn's long and very interesting career as a poet, critic and teacher. Uh, but I think we do it a major disservice to try and some introductory blurb to some to try and summarize its relationships to uh, situations and emotions that have so much presence in so many gun poems whether that's the expression of a queer intimacy um, an engagement with with early modern and historical texts or its poised yet innovative form we could talk about all those things so much um and i don't know i've done a lot of reading on gun for this podcast and i'd love to tell you all about it but there's no better way of knowing about the poem or not knowing about the poem than by reading it. So I think I'm going to hand over to Ellie now to read The Hug and then we're going to talk about it. All right. It was your birthday. We had drunk and dined half of the night with our old friend who'd showed us in the end to a bed I reached in one drunk stride. Already I lay snug and drowsy with the wine dozed on one side. I dozed, I slept. My sleep broke on a hug, suddenly from behind, in which the full lengths of our bodies pressed, your instep to my heel, my shoulder blades against your chest. It was not sex, but I could feel the whole strength of your body set or braced to mine, and locking me to you, as if we were still 22, when our grand passion had not yet become familial. My quick sleep had deleted all of intervening time and place. I only knew the stay of your secure, firm, dry embrace. Fantastic. And like after, that just feels really short now. It's just like a normal length poem. It just feels really short after the ecstasy. Um, but that was that was great. Thank you so much, Ellie. And if we start maybe, um, I don't know, maybe talking about the setting again, like this kind of physical or temporal location. Um, do you want to start us off with that, Ellie? That's something we, we talked about with Dunn. What have we got here? Is it different, similar, or what does it mean? 
So we're starting at a party as opposed to um, on a hill in a park, um, which uh, I've been thinking a lot about parties recently because I've been reading uh, Joshua Chambers' lessons after the party um, and thinking about the ways in which uh, parties can create uh, the potentiality for a new 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 communisms, as uh, as Letson says, but um, the different communisms than one we might uh, immediately think of when hearing that word. Um, I think um, they they take from um, from the undercommons this idea of the commons of the incommensurate, um, which I think is uh, this is kind of especially thinking about other poems that have responded to this one as well. This kind of tradition of writing about the about the party and what happens after the party, um, I think is also just a very quick thing. <laughs> I love that, and so we we don't get the word party. We get um, your birthday. We've drunk and dined half of the night with our old friend. So does it make it, because it, I, I found it interesting actually just thinking again today, like we've got three people in this poem, we've got the friend and we've got these two, two lovers. Um, does it make a difference if it's just those three? Is that, does that still count as a party for um, the theory of parties? That's a good point. I mean, actually, to be honest, what convinced me of it being a party is not the, the fact that there are other people, but the fact that he reaches his bed in one drunk stride, which seems to me something that one does after a party. Um, so that was that was the convincing thing for me. <laughs> That's interesting. Like what are the signifiers of parties? I don't know because I never go to parties, so I don't I don't really have any clue. This is a whole new learning experience for me. Um, OK, fantastic. That's a really nice way to think about this setting. Um, and it's, it, it sounds internal. It sounds, you know, it sounds, um, you know, inside. It's not an outside setting. Um, the, the time of day, it's nighttime. I think, I, I don't know what time of day the ecstasy was. Like all day, wasn't it? All the day we lay. Um, so it seems, yeah, it seems in some ways totally opposite. And however, however we reckon on the number of people involved, uh, if we define it as a party, that is quite different to um, to to the ecstasy as well. Um, and like I, when I was reading this in detail, I kind of got into this like little trend of kind of the sounds of the words, which I hate doing. I really hate like looking at alliteration and stuff. Um, and having these D words, drunk, dined, drowsy. We've got, oh, dozed as well. That feels like, a, those are feels like sort of a party combination of words. What do you think, Shima? Do you think that would be a good party if you drunk, dined, got drowsy and then dozed? That, that would be very great, especially considering we haven't left the houses in, since March. So, you know, that would be great. Um, but I mean, like, Thinking this poem with um, Dan's poem, um, I quite like how this one um, is very, um, it begins with like very physical and almost mundane pleasures, um, you know, drinking, eating, feeling a bit sleepy, uh, maybe slightly tipsy, just, you know, for like feeling very sleepy and going to, going and finding a bed. Um, so all very, um, you know, there's nothing, no ecstasy here yet. You know, it's all very, all very physical. And I, I'm like, even though I don't like dramatic monologues, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm glad you put that on the table right at the start with done, because it feels like we're still, we're still sort of got a bit of a posture 
of a speaker, which is which is fine. You know, that's what poetry does, whatever whatever poem it is. Um, but whereas Dunn's ecstasy, I don't know, there was sort of a certain clarity of vision that was trying to be asserted. I'm not sure I could back that up now I say that, but I think the idea of a sort of a drunk poem or a party poem um, makes us quite different, that we're sort of getting a, a different kind of orientation into the, the objects and, and experiences that are being represented. Okay, but lovely. And I mean, I just, I, it's a very charming six lines, isn't it, that we sort of started yeah. with? There. That's our first two sentences, you know, laying snug and drowsy. Um, I don't know, am I wrong to find it? Am I, am I being a bit sentimental to find it kind of a, an endearing and cosy scene? Do you, how do you feel, Ellie? I, mean, I think you've got a better, you've got a better theory of prior parties than me. Um, am I just being a bit naive here? I often am. I mean, I feel sentimental about it as well. I, can, I, I will happily join you in that naivety, I think. Uh, it sounds so, like, the, 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 it's kind of offhand. We're drunk and dine half the night. Half the night feels extremely colloquial. Half the night. How long is that? Half of it. I suppose we, we've uh, mentioned before about numbers in this poem and also in, in Dunn, and we've, this is one example of starting to look at that. So, so half of the night, um, we've got one drunk stride, one side. Um, and then these are multiplying into 22 later on. All right, fantastic. Okay, well, let's, let's move on, shall we, and start to think some more about these numbers. Um, so we've then got the next sentence and, and, and sort of the poem like invites us to think of it in terms of sentences. It's, it's just one long stanza, really. Um, but the sentences are quite neat and the, um, <laughs> the sentences are quite neat and tidy and fit with uh, the end of lines, usually. So the next bit is, uh, I dozed, I slept. My sleep broke on a hug, suddenly from behind, in which the full lengths of our bodies pressed, your instep to my heel, my shoulder blades against your chair. And um, I dozed, I slept, so the word dozed again, still a snoozy, a snoozy scene. But what's what's different in this in these two sentences actually? Ellie, what, what's changed or what's been introduced to the poem that wasn't there before? Uh, well, this, this other person has come in and, um, and broken the sleep and these, um, these sort of uh, this, this hardness that is that is being brought in um, with the, the breaking on the hug. We've got the, um, the pressing of the bodies, um, the instep, which is the top of the foot, as we've learned, um, which is obviously very bony and then shoulder blades, which are also bones so we've got lots of bones pressing against one another I think um where I mentioned in Dunn that there was this uh, extremely heterosexual stanza of um uncomplicated commonality here we have complicated commonality we've got resistance happening um so. oh I love that that's a wonderful expression complicated commonality can you say could you say more could you say more about that because you threw that in as if everyone knows what complicated commonality is oh um, I suppose um, it would be um, a way of thinking about uh, intimacy, maybe that would, uh, how best to put this, that would uh, have us consider um, people not just as um, in the Spice Girls and Dunn sense of two becoming one of this sort of meshing um, subjectivity um, that we might find in, in, um, in romantic narratives, but instead um, this sort of um, slightly queerer, slightly um, so a different way of thinking about two people um, coming together and, um, and all the hostility that that often yeah, brings okay. about. <laughs> so that, yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's really, really fantastic. So however snug 
the scene was you know and maybe maybe when I was when I sometimes when I've been reading this I'm kind of prone to just keep that naivety all through the poem but as soon as we look at it and we, the vocabulary is clearly there that um, of, of this resistance or of challenges or of complication as well as being as well as being very intimate you know it is a very intimate moment um, with their bodies pressed together into this spoon um, I, I, and I don't know much about the literature of spooning there's there's some wonderful paintings by um, Egon Scheel with the spooning in but I don't know much about in, in poetry but it seems like a wonderfully intimate gesture so it's one of the jobs that gun is doing is kind of complicating that experience of a of a of a spooning session that people are having i wish he has a better is there like a more sophisticated term for spooning than spooning i don't i don't think so i think spooning spooning is the the apogee of that <laughs> there must be there must be, it's one of those things i bet like in different languages it must be there must be like a diff, weird renditions of that in every language whatever okay so Great. So we've got the the heel in his instep. We've got the shoulder blades against the chest. These these minute yet uh, extremely resistant points of of uh, intimate contact. And then we get into our moment when we finally quote from Dunn, or at least is he even quoting from Dunn? I'm kind of going with it and saying yes, he is. We're we're playing this, that game today. Um, but it's only four words. It was not sex, but I could feel the whole strength of your body set or braced to mine and locking me to you as if we were still 22 when our grand passion had not yet become familial. And now we've got to our quotation. Um, it was not sex. Weird, you know, weirdly, I feel like I feel worried about this line. Are we going to get enough out of it? What do you think, Shima, about the start of that section we just read? How do you feel that's being translated into Gunn's idiom? Um, I was thinking about the word locking, locking me to you, because we find a similar idea in um, down to the threads and the strings. Um, so we sort of find one in here. And going back to Ellie's point about numbers, we, we also have find fullness here as well. In the previous lines, when in which the full lengths of our bodies, suddenly all those halves or ones, but not in a, in a good way, one in that, you know, like one and one, like separate. Now we have the full uh, fullness. Um, yeah, your body set again. Sorry for interrupting you. Um, body set again, you know, the idea of like balm, statue, you know, like something is setting. Um, so yeah, that's um, those 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 images I find quite similar in in these two poems. Mm. And I I think that's interesting because it takes us yeah the word set. We're going back to kind of those statues, aren't we? And like yeah. this sort of absolute permanence, but now it's with that that locking. And I feel like we're we're picking up on those. You know, we're getting into those themes that sort of Ellie's raised for the previous stanza. So I kind of want to pass it back to you, Ellie, to see if you can give us a bit more, because I think you, you set us off in a really, really interesting direction there. Well, yeah, I think that the hardness is being sort of is continuing there, obviously, with the, with Shiva saying the references to the sepulchral statues. Um, so that kind of um, that is being sort of reread um, 
hardness is being um, moved into this. Um, what do we call it? The, com the complicated commonality. There we go. Um, and, yes. And what I feel like is almost what's weird with reading this poem is like we're we're getting so much to compare with the ecstasy, right? We it sort of feels like we've got like on the one hand done, on the other hand gun all the time. In this line, it wasn't sex. It actually doesn't seem to be doing a lot of work, or at least I I can't quite figure out how it's doing its work, but maybe it's that idea of commonality where it's it, 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 it is signifying something so it it was not sex here is the statement of complex commonality is that would that be right or and and then and then sex would be the the simplified commonality well i suppose also for um if we're thinking about sex, um, especially in the context of being queer, like we we can think about sex as being something other than um, sort of having a straightforward definition. Often, um, sex can have like tangential or different definitions to just straightforward PIV. Um, so um, we're reading in this. It was not sex. Not just maybe he didn't penetrate me in any way. Obviously, that would be PIA. Um, but um, it would be maybe some some other kind of uh, categorization that's happening here. Maybe in relationship to the hug, like the hug is being categorized as something very different from um, what sex itself is. And maybe this this is a different kind of um, relationship that's being drawn. Okay, so so we shouldn't we shouldn't be assuming what Gunn means when he writes sex, but we, we can assume reasonably that it's a category of things um, that the hug is not part of. That yeah, way. I guess maybe, maybe we're saying that the hug is not sex and, and pointing out what is so specific about the hug, I suppose. Because one could believe that it was part of sex. Like, you know, it could be, one could believe that it's it's part of that category or or not. Help me, Ellie. What do you think? Yeah, I think, that, I think that's entirely, yeah, I think one, one could say that's, that's part of that category. But then um, I think that the, what what's interesting about saying it was not sex and then carrying on with this description is sort of saying, here are the things that I consider to be outside of sexual matters. And we've got this the strength of the body that's braced. Um, we've got um, this this sort of nostalgia um, for this like cutesy passion that um, that seems to be brought out. I don't know how you two read this grand passion, but to me it seems like snarky and tongue in cheek. It seems not not entirely um, honest. Should, should we read? Let's just read those lines again because I, I I know you. I'm 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 really interested in what you picked up there. Uh, so the lines are. Um, locking me to you as if we were still 22 when our grand passion had not yet become familiar. Um, and when you when you point out those words, Ellie, I sort of, the way I felt, the way I kind of figured that out would be almost imagining like grand passion and in inverted commas as if he's sort of distancing himself from this statement that maybe two 22 year olds might imagine themselves to be a part of is it, it, am I getting what you have in mind there again I just kind of I'm interested to know what you think about this because I think that's quite a subtle point but an interesting one yeah I think that the grand passion is definitely in uh, sort of scare quotes right which I think is interesting because that that sort of relates to how done is separating the body and the and the the soul in a way this grand passion might be done's idea of the soul and the sort of um this uh, transcendent other 
um, separate from the body moment. Um, and then we're coming back to this sort of familial um, locked body. Um, so, so if we're mapping this onto the ecstasy, then grand passion. Okay, and of course, yeah, passion is an important word, isn't it? We're kind of skipping past that, but like, you know, passion could be a synonym of ecstasy, right? Um, for Dunn, that grand passion would be the, the spiritual union, the eyes threaded on one single string, um, and then the familial, perhaps, the, the, the bodies. But this way around, or in Gunn's reading, it, I, I don't know, it felt to me on my first reading like the grand passion would be like all that sex we had like 40 years ago. And then the familial was like this, this stuff we're doing now this hugging we're doing now um what do you think Shima, what do you think about these like this grand passion like i i hadn't thought to think about it but i'm i'm really pleased we are now um, i i just did not agree with your last um uh, um last reading there um so i think like um with the it was not sex line i was thinking um more than you know what? What is sex here? What he means by sex? Um, whether there is sex involved or not? Um, I think he's like you know, it's not it's not the sex that is making me feel this way. It is the hug, which might be part of the sex or not. But you know, it is not the sex itself. But it's the it's the hug that makes me feel this way. So I don't know whether like sex is involved. I can't I can't um, see that for certain. Um, in there, but but I think what we can see for certain is that you know what what causes this um, grand passion, um, and I I kind of like quite like reading these two poems side by side because um you know what we find with Dan we have these like new lovers, um, intermingling possibly for the first time, um, so there is that you know that feeling that you know that fresh love as if they are twenty two, um, whereas in here you know we are sort of transported in time uh, with this hug um, which which is quite nice um, I, I quite like this like little moment in here very 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 simple but such a beautifully put idea here so shall we try and get our last five lines finished and we've sort so we've sort of done our main work we've looked at the bit of done we've thought about that um, how does these first, how do these last five lines kind of wrap this up? So these lines are, my quick sleep had deleted all of intervening time and space, sorry, time and place. I only knew the stay of your secure, firm, dry embrace. And I don't know, there's a few things that resonated for me here with the, the done, but maybe they're just kind of, um, coincidence is like the quick sleep felt a bit like the fast balm between the two hands um but i'm not sure that really meant much um i don't know i feel like again ellie i i feel like it's it's in every stage i'm kind of calling on you to tell us the answer um but i feel like you've kind of got really some really useful insights here that can really help us do you how do you feel like what position do you think we've reached at the end of the poem well i think it's a uh... I, I really like the word dry in the last line. Um, I think it, it may be related to the to the inebriation at the beginning, but we're sort of moving away from that now. So we're not just drunk. We're not just like, we haven't just stumbled into bed after a party. Um, we, we've got a secure, firm and dry embrace. Um, sort of feels like a store in a cool, dry place, like a packet of lentils or something. Um, so it's, it's it's sort of adding to that that safety, this kind of cupboard, but not a closet, 
um, God, not a closet. <laughs> no, no, that's interesting. It's not, it's not a closet, or at least I don't know. I think I'm, I'm grateful for you pointing that out because it feels like a, you know, it's, it's certainly a sort of removed space, isn't it, being shown into this room. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the thing is with, with Gunn, I mean, I feel like part of what he's learned from those older poets is sort of every word counts and like we could focus on on anything like, I mean, definitely firm and dry, stay. Um, it almost makes me feel like we've had a kind of seafaring poem. It's a, I guess it's a drunk poem, isn't it? Um, that's finally been, been resolved. What do you, I mean, do you, how do you feel, Shima? Because I'm starting to feel like I want us to kind of have a few last comments then read the poem one last time and then like go on our separate ways. How, how do you feel about this, Shima? How do you feel this is wrapping us up, this last five lines? Um, again, I go back to this idea of like transportation with this intervening time and place, you know, what, what time and place? Are, are we talking about the party? Or are we talking about all these years we spent together? Is that is that what we're talking about? That that familiar, um, that do these time and place, have they created this familiarity? Is that what we're talking about? Or are we talking about the party? Um, and then with the last line, the stay of your, I completely agree with Ellie that that word dry is, is very beautiful and very different um, with the you know beginning of the poem, as Ellie said, and also quite different than what we found in Dumb as well. Um, I don't think there's anything dry going on in, in the theme that Dumb sets for us there. Um, but the word stay, I quite like it because again, if we are gonna read this poem together with Dumb's, you know, that was it was all about staying too, Dash. You know, we are we are, you know, you know, fretting, um, you know, we are like statues, we are just like staying motionless right next to one another. So there is that staying idea going on. Um, so quite like that one in here too. Yeah, so in, within this resistances and kind of complications, you achieve a sort of equilibrium. That I mean, that's maybe what I'm what I'm getting from it. I, I'd like to be told if I'm getting that wrong, but um, you know that that's not really the feeling we get from from Dunn. I mean, I think that's a, a very one-sided poem. You know, like it, I mean, that's always the true in Dunn's poems that he, he never lets uh, he never gives a mistress. Um, uh, you know the partner a voice at all it's always just him going on and on in this poem yes it's just what it's it's just one voice okay it's got that's kind of what a poem's got to be but it feels like a voice that's recognizes recognized all those complications but has reached an equilibrium that includes does not ex does not exclude but includes all those complications i want to ask you ellie if you feel like that's a reasonable thing to say or if i'm just trying to turn it into something that's more resolved and complete than it actually is. I mean, that sounds reasonable. Not not to invoke Beckett, but, uh, you know, total object complete with missing parts sounds uh, sounds like a, a good way to sum it up. Um, yeah. And I mean, I guess I'm just starting to wonder as well, like, what do we think that Gunn's really got from Dunn? And like, do we feel that sort of reading done has actually helped with this poem? I mean, is it just that we've read two like sort of lo love poems that talk a bit about bodies and stuff and it just so happens that they, they complement each other? Um, do you think it's meaningful to 
read these two poets together for those four words that were quoted by Gunn. It's a really tiny overlap. Um, how do you feel, Shima? Because this is a question we kind of come back to time and again. What do you think this um, relatively modern poet has got from the older Renaissance text? Do you, do, do you have any thoughts on that whatsoever? Um, I, I mean, like when, when we talked about this and when you were saying that you have picked these poems, um, you had questions as to whether we had enough um, to put these two together. And I think we do. Um, first of all, again, you know, this, you know, young love, mature love, quite nicely uh, read together. But also um, here's the end of the poem, that, that intimacy, how, um, let, let's think about Dunn again and how he was going on about this ecstasy that we get with the souls intermingling with one another. Here, almost, it almost feels like the ecstasy itself comes from the, the physical intimacy, but it's not sex, it's something else, but still the body is there, and that, that ecstasy itself comes from feeling the other's body. Mm. So that ecstasy is there, but it's from resistances, it's not from some abstract spiritual thing. I, I think so. That's that's how I read this one. I mean, I, I, yeah, I certainly feel I, I just found it very weird putting these two together because they seem to speak to each other so much. Yet the kind of the concrete evidence for their influence, I'm not sure it is there. Um, wh where do you feel about this, Ellie? You know, first timer on the podcast. Great to have, <laughs> have had you here and really um, you know, brought some absolutely fantastic things that we, we couldn't have worked out on our own. Um, do you feel that there's something in reading Gunn and Gunn together for this poem, or is that just kind of a waste of time? Could we have just read Gunn on his own and that would have been acceptable? I think there is something in it. Um, not, I, don't, I mean, I'm not sure about, about influence necessarily. I wouldn't want to speak to that. I don't think that's my but I think this idea of this not sex as a pivot point for both definitely um, works. So this um, some in Dunn, we've got these um, these different kinds of coming together, uh, the, the coming out of the body and then into the soul and then back into the body again. And here we've got this sort of um, less less coming into a soul from a body and more um, this kind of hybrid time that seems to collapse and, and the space um, gets smaller and changes in relationship to this this idea of not sex. Um, we can almost um, think about this idea of sex as, as like a rupture or a, or a point where we where we lose understanding, and maybe that is how in these poems it kind of ruptures and allows us to move between these kinds of spaces at times. Oh, fantastic. Well, look, Ellie, can you do us one? Can you do me one last favour? Could you reread that poem because I I'm starting to feel like you know if we can end just with a nice quiet reading of the poem we've been studying then we'll be doing a good job. Would you feel happy doing that one more time and then we'll yeah. call it a night? Okay. Right. It was your birthday. We had drunk and dined half of the night with our old friend who'd showed us in the end to a bed I reached in one drunk stride. Already I lay snug and drowsy with wine dozed on one side. I dozed, I slept. My sleep broke on a hug suddenly from behind in which the full lengths of our bodies pressed. Your instep to my heel, my shoulder blades against your chest. It was not sex, but I could feel the whole strength of your body set or braced to mine, and locking me to you as if we were still 22, when our grand passion had not yet become familial. 
My quick sleep had deleted all of intervening time and place. I only knew the stay of your secure, firm, dry embrace. 